This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Why don't you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to go back a, um, a couple of verses just to give us context. I'm going to start reading from verse 17. And it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ which passes understanding, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. One of the biggest challenges we have as people is baggage. We drag stuff around with us. And it takes us a long time sometimes to have to deal with the baggage and step into something new. One of the biggest challenges that we have as people is that we were once slaves to sin. But now we've become sons and daughters of God. The problem with it is, while we were slaves to sin, what was established within us was a paradigm that built within us the idea of being a slave. Now we've walked into sonship. We've walked into being a relative of God, being part of his family. And although that is accurate and it's correct, the difficulty that we have is that the paradigm that we've brought with us makes it difficult for us to get established in a true love relationship with God because we still view it from the place where we used to be. So we find it hard to embrace a relationship with God that is the way that he wants us to enjoy it because we have so much baggage that we bring with us. And what God is saying to us is, he's saying, when you get to that place where you recognize what that relationship is, when you understand how much I love you, just because of who you are, it'll change many things in your life. One of the most accurate portrayals of what Father God is like is when you become a parent. There's very little that really gives us as much of a an understanding as to what that relationship is like. But when you become a parent, you know what it's like to sit and say, I would honestly give my life for my child. It doesn't matter what happens in their life. It doesn't matter if they're perfect or imperfect, what they do. It's just, I am committed to them 100%. And my commitment to them is to make sure that they... is to their well-being. I want them to be successful. I want them to be happy. I want them to be whole. I want them to be prosperous. I want them to walk into the fullness of everything that's available to them. That's That's my desire as their parent, as their father. That's what I spend my life committed to. So it's giving us an idea about Christ being established on the inside of us and and that we are grounded in his love. And it speaks about the fact that there are places, there is a place that we can go when we're established in God's love that knowledge cannot get us. There is a place that we can go when we're established in God's love that knowledge cannot get you. People know Sarah. 
People know about Sarah. People know who she is. They know that she's my wife. They may know a little bit about her family history. They may know about her education. They may know what her preference is and what she likes and what she doesn't like. They know a lot of stuff about her, but they don't necessarily have a relationship with her. That's the big difference. The thing is, when it comes to God, we can know a lot of stuff about God, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we have a relationship with him. And what God is saying to us in this is that there is a place in the context of relationship where it will take you places that knowledge will never get you. When we come into a relationship with God and we, we become born again, the first thing we want to do is we want to understand God better so we get into the Word of God. The Word of God is good. The Word of God is fundamental. It's really important for everything that we do. And so I don't want to detract from the, the contribution of the Word. The problem with it is that most people deal with the Word from the perspective of understanding. So it gives them, gives them an understanding of God and gives them an understanding of who God is and what God is all about. The problem with it is we, we're not supposed to be grounded in our understanding because when we're in relationship, it takes us places that knowledge is not going to get us. You never have an appreciation for a person. You never understand and trust that person. You're never able to empathize with a person unless you're in relationship with them. There are things that come from relationship that you don't get from knowledge. There are things that we get from relationship that we don't get from knowledge. What it's saying is when we are grounded and rooted in love, relationship, that passes understanding. When we've got to that point where we recognize, I understand the value of knowing certain things about God, but there are places I can go in the context of relationship and understanding who I am and who he is and how that fits together. When I get to that place, I begin to know the fullness of God. It's an interesting thing for us because it flies against the face of so much that we are raised to embrace and feel comfortable with. As a society, particularly a Western society, we elevate and we celebrate education. The more you know, the better you are. That what it's saying here is that your knowledge of God can take you to a certain place. But unless you're established in relationship with him, you will never know the fullness of God. And so it becomes quite interesting because what it's really saying is this. Part of the challenge that so many people have is that they know so much about God. They understand God's design for their life and what it means to be a Christian. They understand that God's goodness is available to them. They understand that God wants them to step into prosperity and wholeness and health and provision and everything that God has. The problem is they don't know how to get there. And the reason for that is because so many people are stuck in knowledge and they've never transcended knowledge and got into relationship. What it's saying is the fullness and everything that you're looking for in God is not going to be found in knowledge. Unless you get into relationship, you never realize the fullness. When it speaks about the fullness of God, what constitutes fullness? It's speaking about God's nature and all the different dimensions and expressions of his nature. Goodness, love, peace, provision. All the attributes, everything that you can think of that goes with God constitutes his fullness. And what it's saying is, I'm glad you know about me, but until you step into relationship with me, you never get to know. That word know is gnotsko. It is experience by encounter. We don't get to experience by encounter who he is. It answers a lot of questions for us as Christians. 
I want to say some things today that it's not intended to shock you, but I want you to take some of this stuff and I want you to digest it because I believe that it's truth. But you take it and you digest it for yourself. The problem with many Christians and the reason that not much happens in our life is because we live from a place of belief and not a place, from, and not a place of love. The reason that, that a lot of stuff doesn't happen in Christians' life is because we live from a place of belief and not a place of love. Now, belief is important. Belief is fundamental, and I'm not saying throw belief out. I'm not saying it's not an important aspect of it. But what I am suggesting is this. Belief is something that you're going to go through on your journey somewhere. Your belief can be informed from your knowledge, or your belief can be informed as a result of your relationship. And it depends on where that belief is informed from will determine the effectiveness and how powerful that belief is. The problem with it is, and what I want to demonstrate to you this morning, is that we've raised a generation of Christians who know a lot about God and their knowledge has informed their belief, but there's no power behind it. So what ends up happening is I believe God can do a whole bunch of stuff. The problem with it is because I'm not established in relationship with God, I don't realize the fullness of God. I've used this example before, but I... I want to use it again because I believe that it's powerful. If if it was summertime and we were out swimming and one of my kids was standing up on the diving board and I said to them, jump in, I'll catch you. And Pastor Dave was with me and he was also in the pool. Now, Dave is bigger than me. I mean, he's taller. He's taller than me. And he's bigger than me. If we were both to stand there and we were both to say to one of my kids, Colton, jump to me, I will catch you. The thing is, he would look at the two of us, but I guarantee you he would jump to me, not Dave. Why? Because elements like confidence and trust are the product of love, not ability. It's the product of love, not ability. You see, when you talk about love, you're talking about a relational aspect. And when you talk about love, it means I have to come into that place of relationship with you where I I get to understand and I get to appreciate the fruit of relationship. Part of the fruit of relationship are things like trust and confidence. As opposed to something like ability. Ability comes out of knowledge. Knowledge, if you know something, it produces an appreciation for ability. So what ends up happening is, I believe that you can do this in my life, but I don't always know that you will. I believe you can do this in my life, but I don't always know that you will. And that's a place that so many Christians find themselves. What ends up happening is you say to them, do you believe God can heal you? Yes. Do you believe God wants to provide for you? Yes. Do you believe that God has the answer to where you are right now? Yes. Do you believe that he's going to do it for you right now? I don't know. What is it saying? I believe in God but I'm not rooted and grounded in love. 
what it's saying is our belief is important for us because it starts to give definition to what it is that God wants to do in our lives. But the purpose of belief is to take us from a place where we're grounded and we're rooted in relationship with him. And it's supposed to sit and say, let's start exploring what my life in relationship with God will be like when we start moving into this whole area, this dimension. What does it look like? It's supposed to take a grounding out of love and open up new vistas so that I can move into that and I can discover myself in that context. Belief is not a substitute for relationship. And the thing about it is that's the biggest challenge that so many Christians have got. They believe God can do so much. They believe that God is capable. They believe in his ability, but they're not always convinced that he'll do it for them. And that's where we fall short. We live a life out of belief, not a life out of love. It goes on, it says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. So what he's saying is this. What is the power that works within us? It's a love base. When you're grounded and rooted in relationship with God, when you are, when you are established in the knowledge that God loves you unconditionally, that God wants to do stuff in your life unconditionally because he loves you. We get to a place where that becomes the power that motivates things. And what God is saying to us is this. When you're at that place, it'll open up the ability that he can do things in your life. The degree to which we are grounded and rooted in who he is and a love relationship with him is going to define the capacity by which God is able to do things in our lives. Which is very different to what we've been taught. We sit and think if we know a lot of stuff about God and we start to quote a lot of scripture, it happens. If I grab hold of certain things and I I do certain things and I follow certain forms, stuff happens. I'm not taking away from the importance of faith. I'm not taking away from confession. I'm not taking away from all of those different attributes. What I'm saying to you is this. The suggestion is if we take all of those things and you do it out of knowledge, it's not going to take you anywhere. The problem with it is unless you're grounded and rooted in relationship and as, until we live from that place of relationship, we don't realize the fullness of what God has got for us. The challenge for so many Christians is this. We're speaking from a place of, love, of knowledge as opposed to the power of love that we should be rooted in. What God's saying is your capacity to realize the things of mine are dependent on you being grounded and rooted in love. Not grounded and rooted in knowledge. And that's where we find so many Christians right there. That's where the divide is. They know a lot of stuff about God, but they're not established in his love. It's not a case of being like, you know what? I don't care what it looks like. It doesn't matter what it feels like. I don't care what the media says. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care about anything else. I know God is good. And because I know God is good, I'm telling you, this is what he said to me. He will do it. That doesn't come out of knowledge. That comes out of relationship. Confidence comes out of relationship. Trust comes out of relationship. It doesn't come out of knowledge. 
Too many Christians don't experience and have limited capacity for God because we're stuck in knowledge and not relationship. What God, what God is saying here is, everything that I have available to you, I want to make known to you and I want you to experience. But it's dependent on you stepping into a place where you know me intimately. So how do we do this? We are very favored. We're very favored because we're part of the New Testament. We're part of what Jesus made available for us. People never used to have this. But part of what what God's grand plan was, was to open up avenues and opportunities for us to be able to step into the fullness of what he has available. Jesus said, it's more profitable for you that I go away because if I don't leave, the comforter won't come. What is he talking about? He was talking about the reality that I want for you to realize the fullness of relationship with me that you've never known before. Part of the new covenant is that we have access to the father that we never had before. And the key component to that is the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was down here, people said to him, tell us about God. Tell us about the Father. Who is he? How do we know him? What is he like? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, if you've known me, you've known the Father. What I've come to reveal to you is the Father. And what I've come to evidence to you is who the Father is and how he behaves. His actions. The thing about it is, The role of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Christ to us and to evidence his design for our life in us. As we get to know the Holy Spirit and as we develop relationship with the Holy Spirit, so things will begin to change in our life. The Holy Spirit is fundamental to changing us and introducing us to what it means to have a a big and robust and healthy relationship with God. Joel knew about it because he prophesied it. It was about 800 years before Jesus was born. And he was prophesying. And in Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. It says. It'll come about after this. That I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy and old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions and goes on and on and on. He's prophesying about the Holy Spirit coming. He's prophesying about the Holy Spirit coming. What he's saying is this, life is about to change for you. You have no clue what's going to happen. And when, when you realize what it is that the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you have no clue what's going to happen because it's going to open you, you up to potential that you've never known before. It's going to introduce you to having relationship with God. And that relationship is going to become a springboard for God to live through you and for you to experience the fullness of what God is all about. He was excited about it. He was looking forward to it. On the day of Pentecost, they were gathered up in the upper room, and they were busy praying. And what happened was the Holy Spirit came upon them and came within them. And they started speaking with other tongues, and there were all kinds of signs that were evident. And what ended up happening was the people who were around about them at that time had a look, and they said, okay, these guys are kind of loopy. They're a little bit crazy. Maybe these guys have been drinking. There's something not right here. And what did Peter say? 
He went outside, and if you have a look in Acts chapter 2, and verse 17, he says, For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. No, no, no. Okay. Can you please put that back up a second? Take a deep breath. Just listen. Okay. And you're going to think about this and it's up to you. I will pour out my spirit on all the New King James is better. Um, I, I'm not sure what version this is. New American Standard. Uh, New King James. The, the New King James says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Okay, here's the shock. Half of the church believes that the Holy Spirit is in the church. We believe that the Holy Spirit is in the body. We believe that the Holy Spirit is limited to us, but it doesn't say that. It says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. If you have bones and you have some meat on there, it's called flesh. It doesn't say whether you're born again or not. God is not going to pour out the spirit on you, only if you're born again. It says, I will pour out my spirit on all. It's up there. I didn't say it. It's in the Bible. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Part of the problem that we have as Christians is we have this conception that the Holy Spirit is in the church. And I have to go into the church to get with the Holy Spirit. The problem with it is, is that that's not what he said. The whole point of the whole grace message is this. It is good news for mankind. He has sent forth his Holy Spirit on all flesh. God in the Old Testament used to deal through a particular person at a particular time for a particular situation. And something would happen as a result of that. And he said that all has been passed away because I've now poured out my spirit on all flesh. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what grace is all about. Everything that God, Christ has got available to you is now accessible and available to you. He's inviting you into it. But there is a difference. He said, I will pour it out on all flesh. The challenge with it is this. Most of the people in the world don't recognize it. And they don't see it. And they don't have the spirit inside of them. The point is, the Holy Spirit is still on all flesh. Because he has a job to do. He has a job to do. No one comes to the Father unless the Spirit that's why the Spirit had to be poured out on all flesh. He's busy doing a job right at the moment. And should I tell you something? He's doing things in people's lives that most religious people would be uncomfortable with and not recognize. You know why? Because God only does stuff for Christians. He doesn't. doesn't say that. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. He loved you in your sin. And if you think back to your life and what happened in your life, you'll think about some stuff where you sit and think, you know what? That was a really dumb thing to do. I don't know how I got through it. I don't know how I got through it because it was really, but you know what? Because it was poured out on all flesh. 
There are times where the Holy Spirit will take care of some people and he will do everything necessary because he loves you. And he's going to give you every opportunity so that the spirit who was poured out on you can become the spirit that begins to reside inside of you. He's doing everything that he can. And if he just gets a little gap in somebody's life, he's going to get on the inside there and he's going to do something with it. Why? Because he's always looking at introducing us to relationship. He wants us to get established and grounded and rooted in the fact that he loves us. He loves us. He's doing something in our lives. That's why we have a responsibility to preach the gospel, not religion. When you preach the gospel and you give people the gospel, you give the Holy Spirit something to take and something to work with. And when he takes that, he's able to use that and bring about change in people's lives. That's what he's doing. Have a look at what happened in the day of Pentecost. There were those in the upper room who were busy praying and the Holy Spirit came within them. He filled them. He inhabited them. And what happened? It brought about such a change in who they were and what their life was like. Everybody round about had a look and said, look at that. There must be something wrong here because it was noticeable. But that's only half the equation. The other half of the equation is this. The Holy Spirit came upon everybody else. That's why when Peter got up and started to preach, 3,000 people said, we want that. Where did that come from? The Holy Spirit poured out upon all flesh. It's good news for us. What it says is this. Every time that you go out and you take the good news, every time that you're starting to pray for somebody, everybody, every time that you're believing for something to take place in somebody's life, every time that you get together and you come into agreement with somebody, as long as they have flesh on them, the Spirit is there. You are not responsible for making it happen. He is. That's his job. That's his job. Everywhere we go, he goes with you. Every time you're ministering to someone, they may not recognize it, they may not see it, they may not identify it. He's busy doing something in there. He's poured out on all flesh for a reason. Have a look at John. John chapter 14, verses 15 and 16. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. That he may abide with you forever. The word abide there means stick to you. The Holy Spirit is bonded to you. The Holy Spirit is bonded to you. It's a revelation that's really important that we get. Because let me tell you, there's a lot of languaging that goes on right at the moment that doesn't speak about a Holy Spirit that is glued to you. It speaks about a Holy Spirit that comes and goes. The Holy Spirit comes and goes. So you know, we, we, we say things and we don't always realize what it is that we're saying. But we're feeding into the idea that the Holy Spirit is not ever present. We speak about things like, you know, um, the Holy Spirit really showed up this morning. What does it say? What it's really saying is, he may not have been there the other mornings, but he was there this morning. It's not true. 
It's not true. He sticks to you no matter what. He is always with you. He is always with you. He is ever present to you. The thing about it is that becomes really important is we begin to develop an appreciation and an understanding of the fact that he never leaves us. And so it begins to affect certain things like praise and worship because we start to think about, well, how is it during praise and worship that the spirit begins to manifest himself, but he doesn't manifest at other times? And what I would propose to you is this. It's not because the spirit showed up. It's because you showed up. You see, the spirit was there all the time. The spirit was there all the time. What happens when we get into worship, though, is that it begins to change the heart and the mind focus. You see, we get so distracted about the coronavirus and what's happening over here. And what am I going to have for lunch? And what about my kids? And what's going to happen about school this week? And who's going to take? I'm everywhere else. I'm everywhere else. And the Holy Spirit is standing here waiting. I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off all over the place mentally and in my heart. I'm at all different spaces. But when I get into worship, what it starts to do is it says, let's come together and let's start to look at who he is. Let's start to look at his goodness. Let's start to look at his sovereignty. Let's start to have a look at the fact that he is like, let's start to focus on him. And when you start to focus on him, my head and my heart suddenly comes from all of those other places and begins to recognize, oh, here you are. And he's like, I'm so glad you joined me. He wasn't anywhere else. We were. We were. We think praise and worship is for us, but I'm going to show you two reasons why it's not. It's actually for you. Praise and worship is not for God. It's for you. God doesn't fall off his throne because you don't worship him. God is full and complete in who he is. He does not need our praise and worship to prop him up. We think that we are going to him to give him something. What he's saying is, I've created a tool to change you. First thing that this is going to do when you get into worship is it's going to take you away from your environment and everything else that's happening and all the concerns and all the things that plague your heart. And it's going to say, let's get rid of all of those things and let's move to the place where we begin to focus on him. And when we begin to focus on him, suddenly we become aware of the presence. And when you become aware of the presence, things happen. People stepped out of boats because they recognized the presence. People rose from the dead because they recognized the presence. Blind eyes were opened because they recognized the presence. Things happen when you recognize the presence. The implication for us is this. What are you doing in everyday life? That's why worship is not an action uh, that we just get engaged in when we come in on Sunday mornings. Worship is about taking who I am and spending my life where I'm always having a look and taking my mind and my heart captive and moving it to a place where I focus on who he is because he's ever present to me. When you were in that board meeting, when you were stuck in traffic, When you were in that school classroom and everything else was going on, he never left you. He was there. We just didn't, we weren't present to him. He never leaves us. He is always there. We have the opportunity to come into presence and into connection with him when we change the focus of our life. But I want you to see something else. 
It becomes really important because not only does worship bring us into a place where we recognize his presence, but worship does something else. Worship is a tool that is designed to transform you. What you spend your time looking at, you become like. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. What it's saying is this. What you spend your time meditating on, you will become like. That is why worship is so important. Because when you grab hold of worship, worship should speak to us about the goodness of God. It should speak to us about the fullness of God. It should speak to us about everything that God is. Because when I spend my time sitting and looking and meditating in that context as to who he is and what he's all about, it changes who I am. It's designed to change me into his image. I'm becoming like him and moving from glory to glory. Giving glory to something is not sitting saying, I give you glory. That's not giving him glory. We give him glory when we take and we recognize who he is. And we are intentional about sitting saying, I elevate that and I give that supreme space in my life. And I choose not to be like anything else. I choose to be like that. I'm going to make that a part of who I am. And I spend my time meditating on who he is and what he's all about. It moves us to a place where the spirit who is ever present to us can take that and make that a part of who we are. Worship is designed to change us. We raise our kids with certain values. And it was a good thing because a little while ago, we had a call from the school and they said, we have a new student coming and can Carter please take care of the student because he is such a kind boy. What does it say? You glorify the values of our home when you live it. You glorify him when you become it. We glorify him when we live him. That's how you glorify him. We don't glorify him by sitting saying, you are good, you are wonderful, you are the healer. He knows who he is. He doesn't need to know it. We need to be it. The whole point of worship is to introduce me to a deeper knowledge and an understanding of who he is. Because what he's saying is, when you understand and truly have an appreciation for how much I'm prepared to do anything for you, you're getting more and more grounded in the love of who I have, that, that I have for you. And the more grounded you become in the love that I have for you, the more I'm able to take off my fullness and expand the capacity of what I have so that you can walk into that. That's what worship is all about. Worship is about changing us. It doesn't change God. It changes who we are. We are being conformed to his image. Every time we worship him and we take parts of who he is and we see that, what ends up happening is we are looking at a mirror and ourselves in that context. That's why I'm really picky about what worship stuff we sing. I am. And there's some songs I'm not prepared to sing. And there are other songs I change the lyrics on because I don't agree with them. But we just, I think very often we, we take like the, the, song of the, the song of the month 
You know, it's, it's like that's, that's the in song nowadays. I don't like songs that talk about me. I appreciate the God is, that God has changed me. I appreciate that my life has changed. But the point of worship is to take who he is and to elevate him in my life. I don't want to sing about I'm a changed person and I'm much better than I am. I appreciate all of that stuff. But that's not the purpose of worship. The purpose of worship is to elevate who he is. He is good. He is wonderful. Your, your mercy endures forever. We sit and we sing about him. Why? Because that's who I want to be like. I don't want to sit and celebrate myself. The only reason I am like I am is because of him. There are a few things I want you to get out of today. Number one is this. God's intention is to take all of his fullness and to make that available to us and wants us to realize what that is. And we realize that when we step beyond knowledge and we move to a place of relationship with him. He wants a relationship with us. He wants us to be grounded and rooted in the fact that, you know what? I love you. While you were listening, doing whatever you wanted to do, I didn't care. I loved you. Stay grounded and rooted in love. He wants us to move to a place where he recognizes that the Holy Spirit is here to champion us and to move us in that direction. And he never leaves us nor forsakes us. He sticks to you closer than glue. He doesn't come and then go. He's not here one day and then offended and leave the next. To be grieved, when it speaks about the Holy Spirit being grieved, you know what that means? It means I don't give him the due place in my life that he deserves. That's what grieving is. It's not because, gee, you know, somebody's coughed in the back and now the Holy Spirit's left. It doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit's not that sensitive, believe me. He's committed to what it is that he wants to do. And he's here to do stuff in people's lives. He's not like, well, you didn't cover your mouth, I'm out of here. He's here. He is always here. Worship should be important in our life. Because what worship does is it takes our mind and our heart away from the distractions of our life. And it says, let's focus on who's here with you. You've got to find him because he's here. You've got to arrive. He's here all the time. But I've got to move myself to the place where I sit and say, I recognize him. I see him now. Because those other things, those distractions are not as important as who he is. Celebrating. Worship as a tool for transformation. It's the way that he takes who he is and he imparts that to who we are. So we move from glory to glory. Every time he takes and he puts an aspect of who he is inside of who I am, suddenly I'm able to move into a place where people sit and say, I really like you. You know what? Because you're just such a good person. You are a likable person. You're so full of peace. What are you doing when you do You glorify him. That's glorifying him. Because you can turn around and sit and say, you know what? That's not who I used to be. 